Welcome to the Bible Truth Podcast with Ron and Tim Reynolds, pastors and Bible teachers. Pastor Ron and Pastor Tim combined for more than 70 years of teaching and preaching God's Word. Listen now as they share the eternal truths of the Bible. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Bible Truth for Living with your host, Pastor Tim Reynolds. We're excited that you're listening today, whether it's by radio or podcast. If you're listening on the radio, this is Resurrection Sunday 2023, and happy Resurrection Sunday. This is the uh, greatest day in the year for those uh, in the Christian faith as we celebrate the day that our Savior rose from the grave. He lives forevermore, and because He has raised, we have hope of resurrection as well, and we're looking forward to His return one of these days. We're excited about that, and if you do not have a home church, I'd like to invite you to one of the churches where I have the honor and privilege of pastoring, first of all, Mount Vernon Baptist Temple. We're located at 817 Woodland Drive off of Route 37 South in Mount Vernon. We have Sunday school classes for all ages that begins at 9 a.m., 10 a.m. will be the morning worship service, and then uh, ordinarily we have a 6 p.m. Sunday evening service, although this being Easter Sunday, we will not be having evening service to allow folks time to spend with their families. And then we have service also on Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock, but come out and enjoy Resurrection Sunday with us. I'll be preaching a message from God's Word. We have something special for all of the young people. We'd love to have you there. And then at Waltonville Community Church, we begin every Sunday morning at 11. 11.15 a.m. We are located at 321 South Hiram Street, just across from the Waltonville Cafe. And today we are excited to have uh, a morning of praise and worship with Polly Lene and Elaine Chobanian. Uh, these ladies are wonderful musicians. We're looking forward to having uh, them today at Waltonville. I'll also be preaching, and we have activities for the kids as well. So either way, if you do not have a home church, we'd love to have you at Mount Vernon Baptist Temple or at Waltonville Community Church. Well, today I'm beginning a series uh, on the radio titled Passion, It Wasn't the Nails. Now, this will not necessarily be a resurrection message because we're we're headed that direction. We're headed that way, but we're going to be covering Matthew chapters 26 through 28. And today we're going to begin as we look at the final days and hours of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to look at the trap that is set for Jesus. I'll read from Matthew 26, beginning with verse 1. The Bible says, and it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said unto his disciples, ye know that after two days is the feast of the Passover and the son of man is betrayed to be crucified. Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people unto the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. Well, this time of year as we celebrate uh, what some people call Easter Sunday, I prefer Resurrection Sunday, but they both uh, are, are celebrating the resurrection of our Savior. Uh, we will watch oftentimes uh, films about the life of Jesus and especially the, the crucifixion. And I think it's a good reminder for us of what Jesus, of course, did for us. One of those films is Passion of the Christ. Uh, it's a very graphic film, uh, it's often really difficult. 
difficult to watch, but it does give you sort of an idea of what Jesus went through in his suffering. And sometimes people will watch that and they'll wonder, well, why was Jesus treated that way? Why did they hate him so much? Why did he suffer so greatly? He was a victim of injustice. He was an innocent man as the sinless son of God. And yet no one ever suffered more agony unjustly than Jesus Christ. But it is the crucifixion of Jesus that is also the greatest act of divine justice that has ever been meted out. His crucifixion, his death on the cross, secured the salvation of multitudes, and it opened the way for God to forgive sin without compromising his own perfect and holy standard. Jesus Christ was not a victim of unjust men or unjust circumstances, but rather he surrendered his life willingly to become an atonement for the sins of humanity. And I'll explain that as we go along in this series. Jesus was the greatest sacrifice ever made, and he is also the purest act of love that has ever been displayed. That's why we call it his passion. The death of Jesus Christ, uh, I believe, is by far the most important event in human history. It is the centerpiece of the Christian faith. It is also our only refuge against the righteous judgment of God. Beloved, all of our hopes rest in the cross of Christ. May we never take it for granted. May we never miss the depths of its meaning. Over the next few weeks, we're going to journey through these final days and hours of Jesus Christ leading up to his death, burial, and resurrection. My hope for the unbeliever that may be listening to the radio or to the podcast is that God will use these messages to bring you into a personal relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. For believers, my hope is that this series will deepen our appreciation for what Christ has done for us in providing forgiveness of sins, peace with God the Father, and a heavenly home for all of eternity. Let's begin looking at the trap this morning as we see the Savior's warning as he draws to the conclusion of his Olivet Discourse. The Bible says in Matthew 26 and verse 1, and it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings. Now that phrase, all these sayings, refer to the previous two chapters, chapters 24 and 25. Matthew 24 and 25 contain Jesus' prophetic dialogue regarding his second coming. We call it the Olivet Discourse because he gives this on the Mount of Olives to his disciples. Jesus provides several signs to watch for as his appearance will draw near. We are covering that in depth on Wednesday nights at Mount Vernon Baptist Temple. We'd love to have you come and study that with us as we look at the end times according to Jesus. But that's what he covers in 24 and 25. But now when you get to chapter 26, the Bible says he has finished all these sayings. That word finished has a special meaning here because what it means is that this would be the last time Jesus would solely focus on the nation of Israel. He is now going to shift his attention to the cross and to the church age. John says this in John chapter 1 and verse 11. He came unto his own and his own received him not. His own there refers to his own people, his own nation, the Jews. So they rejected their Messiah. They did not trust in him. They crucified him. 
But verse 12 says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now, because of the rejection of Christ by Israel, it opened up the way of salvation for everyone, including Jews and Gentiles, as many as received him. As many as believe on the name of Jesus Christ, God gives the power to become a child of God. You don't have to be a a male, a female, uh, Jew, Greek, rich, poor. We're all one in Christ. Salvation is available to all. And so now the focus shifts from Israel to the church. Now, here's a question many people ask. Is God then finished with Israel? Is he so angry with the Jewish people because they've rejected his son that he has written them off and has no plan for them? Well, the answer is an emphatic no. God's focus has shifted to the church, which is made up of both Jews and Gentiles, but his focus will return to Israel following the rapture of all believers. We call it the rapture of the church. Paul makes that distinction in Romans chapter 11. Just listen to this, please. Paul writes, I say then, hath God cast away his people? That's referring to Israel. How do we know? Well, the rest of the verse. God forbid, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. So Paul says, I am one, all right? And God has not forsaken his people. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. That's plain as can be there in Romans 11 and verse two. Verse five, he goes on to say, even so, them at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. That is a remnant of the Jewish people who are believers in their Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, as Savior. All right. So there has always been this believing remnant. But as a whole, the nation is spiritually blind. That's what he addresses in verse 25. I'm skipping here just to save some time. Verse 25 says, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. If you're a Gentile, don't think too highly of yourselves here because you need to understand God's plan. That blindness in part is happened to Israel. Now it says in part because you have the believing remnant. But in part, spiritual blindness has set in because of their rejection of Jesus but it's a it's a, a one thing that's going to change because he says until so there's a time frame here until the fullness of the gentiles be come in so the question is when is that when is the fullness of the gentiles that is referring to the rapture of the church if the rapture were to occur today what a great day for the rapture to occur on resurrection sunday right and we were to be caught up to meet the lord in the air god's focus then would shift from the church, which will be caught up to heaven, back onto the nation of Israel as he carries out his judgment during the seven-year tribulation period. Now, there's a lot more in depth on that. That's Bible prophecy. We cover that on Wednesday nights. I'm not going to delve into that here, but just understand God has not uh, forsaken Israel, has not forgotten Israel. He just is focused on the church, and his focus will return to Israel after the rapture of the church or the fullness of the Gentiles. Well, let's continue. Let's go back to our text in Matthew 26, as we see the closeness of his own death and the coming Passover. Now, in verse 2, Jesus says, "'Ye know that after two days is the feast of the Passover.'" Now, what is that talking about? What is the feast of the Passover? Well, 
We have a picture, actually a couple of pictures of this before it was ever proclaimed, and we see the first picture of the Passover in the Garden of Eden. It's in Genesis chapter 3. Remember, Adam and Eve had sinned, and uh, they tried to cover their sin with fig leaves, but that was just uh, symbolizing man's own effort, his own works to cover sin, which will never do. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, and so blood had to be shed. And the Bible says in Genesis 3.21, unto Adam and to his wife did the Lord God, and I believe this is the pre-incarnate Christ physically, make coats of skins and clothe them. That means that Adam and Eve had to watch as, as God would take the innocent little lambs and he would slit the throats as the blood would run and he would take the skins and cover Adam and Eve. They couldn't cover themselves. The fig leaves wouldn't work. God had to do the covering and it took the shedding of blood to cover them with the coats of skins. That is picturing the Passover and what Jesus has done for us. One more example. Genesis chapter 22, you have the story of Abraham offering his son Isaac. I'm not going to read the whole story, but just a part of it. I'm going to pick it up in Genesis 22, verse 7. And Isaac, this is a young teenage boy, maybe 12, 13 years old, spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood. I see all the accoutrements for an offering, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Apparently, Abraham had performed this before, and Isaac says, I see everything we need but the lamb. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. He says, son, God's going to take care of this. All right, I have faith. God's going to provide. And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Picture that as a father who has waited so many years for this son has to tie him up and he's prepared to offer him as the offering. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. I believe he had so much faith that he knew that if he went through with this, God would raise Isaac from the dead because he promised this this son would would be. And the angel of the Lord called out of heaven, said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here am I. And he said, lay not your hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold behind him, a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. That is no coincidence. It's no accident. That was there all along by the purpose of God. And I like this part. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. What you have here is a a picture of the Passover lamb. God's providing the lamb here, all right, in the stead, in the place of. And then we see the Passover lamb actually proclaimed in Exodus chapter 12. Uh, the uh, uh, what the issue going on here? Remember, Israel had been in Egypt. You had all the plagues, and finally the death of the firstborn. And the only way to prevent the the death angel from killing the firstborn was to follow the strict instructions that God gives. Here are the instructions: Exodus twelve verse three. Speak you unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month. They shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. 
your lamb shall be without blemish. Don't bring a, a, a limping lamb or a lamb that has some bad health, bad issues. Don't do that. Bring a good one, good healthy one, a male of the first year. Don't bring a 10-year-old lamb. Bring a firstling. All right, bring the best. And they shall take up the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. So they were to take the blood and put that on the door post. And then verse 13 says, and the, the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. You've heard that song before. When I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. That is when the Passover was proclaimed. Now, let's bring this back into Matthew chapter 26. The Passover is one of the highlights of the Jewish year. The Jews celebrated it uh, whenever uh, it occurred there in Exodus. They continued to. They celebrated it in Jesus' day, and they continue to celebrate it now. In fact, I read this past week that uh, they wanted to actually sacrifice a lamb on the Temple Mount. They put a stop to it, but I expect that to occur uh, before too long. But Passover is a, it's a highlight of the Jewish year. And Jesus recognized that he himself is about to become the Passover lamb, not only for the Jews, but for the whole world. And then we have the coming passion. As Jesus says, you know, in two days is the feast of the Passover and the son of man is betrayed to be crucified. Now, Jesus' life had been under threat throughout his entire existence. As an infant, King Herod tried to kill all the babies and kill off Jesus. His own hometown in Nazareth, they tried to throw Jesus off a cliff. Uh, when he claimed deity, and we'll look at this in just a moment, his enemies wanted to stone him. But Jesus mentioned specifically here, he says, the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Crucifixion was a Roman method of execution. Uh, the Jews had no intention of a public crucifixion, especially at the Passover. That's not what they had planned. But Jesus knew that's what was going to take place, and he knew it had to be by crucifixion according to the uh, word of God and to fulfill God's plan of salvation. And you say, why did it have to be crucifixion? Why couldn't they just stone Jesus? Well, there's a reason, and it's uh, and found in Galatians chapter 3, referring to the Old Testament law. Here's verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us or purchased us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Christ became a curse for us. How? For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That's not talking about by a noose. It's talking about being nailed to a tree, hung to a tree. That cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. Jesus knew he was going to be crucified. The religious leaders did not have that plan. They certainly didn't want it to be public, and they did not plan on it to be on Passover. But God had different plans. Now, we're going to look at the Sanhedrin's wickedness and the players that are involved in this trap in verse 3. The Bible says, Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people unto the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas. 
Now, these players made up the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a religious formal council that consisted of up to 71 religious elders and leaders of the day. This would be part of those who were scribes and Pharisees, Sadducees. They were all part of the Jewish Sanhedrin. Their leader was the high priest. Now, the high priest was supposed to be appointed through the Levitical priest line. That was the the priestly tribe. But under Roman occupation, the high priest was someone who was approved and appointed by Rome. And that man happened to be Caiaphas. Now, we know that Caiaphas hated Jesus for two main reasons. And this is why Jesus was crucified. When you think about his crucifixion, Was it his miracles? Was it his parables? Did they just not like him? What was the problem? Well, two things. Number one, it was because Jesus claimed to be God in the flesh. It was his claim to deity. Listen now to John chapter 10 and uh, verses 30 through 33. Jesus said, I and my father are one. That seems simple. We're, we're, We're the same. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, many good works have I showed you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? Are you stoning me for healing the blind or the lame? What what are you doing here? The Jews answered him saying, for a good work, we stone thee not. It's none of that, but for blasphemy, because thou being a man, makest thyself God. You see, they hated the fact that Jesus claimed to be God. They did not think, that's why they don't believe a Messiah has come yet. They don't believe that a, that a man can be God. So it was his claim to deity. It was also his challenge to their dominion and their authority. They had a lot of power. They had a lot of position. The Roman authority left them alone to be the leaders of the religion and of the Jews. And Jesus was sort of crashing that party. John chapter 11 and verse 47, then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council, the Sanhedrin, and said, what do we? For this man, Jesus, doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. If we don't do anything about Jesus, everybody's going to follow him. The Romans will have no need of us, and we'll lose all the prestige and authority we have. Now, Caiaphas, the high priest, speaks up. The Bible says, one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, you know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. It was an unintentional prophecy. What he was saying was true. One man would die in the place of the nation. That man would be Jesus Christ. And not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one, the children of God that were scattered abroad, meaning both Jews and Gentiles. Then from that day forth, they took counsel together for to put him to death. Well, they wanted to kill him because of his claim to deity and his uh, challenge to their dominion. So they have to have a plan. Let's look at the plan. First of all, the plan was to capture Jesus. In verse four, the Bible tells us, and they consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety. These outward religious leaders were scheming to kidnap Jesus, and the Bible says by subtlety. Now, that I don't think that's just a, a word that just happens to be there. I think there's a purpose for that word. Where did they get their subtlety? I submit to you that the devil was working through these religious leaders. The Bible says in Genesis 3 and verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle 
than every beast of the field. And the Bible says here that they, by subtlety, planned to kidnap Jesus. They wanted to capture him, and then they wanted to kill him. They might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. They could not compete with Jesus in word, in argument, or in deed. The only way to deal with Jesus now is put him to death. They have to get rid of him, get him out of their hair once and for all. We're going to kidnap him. We're going to do this undercover. Nobody's going to know it. It's not going to be public, and we're going to kill him. And then they wanted to conceal it because verse 5 says, they said not on the feast day, not on the Passover day, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now, Jewish population was possibly three million in Jerusalem during the Feast of Passover. Several thousand of them had gathered just a few days prior to welcome Jesus as king. Remember, as he rode in on a donkey, they laid down palm branches and cried, Hosanna. We call that the triumphal entry. And so the the, the religious leaders say, hey, we can't do this on the Passover. Uh, we can't do this publicly. We have to let everything calm down and then we'll do it. But... This would not be accomplished on Caiaphas's time or on the time of the Sanhedrins. It would be accomplished on God's time. God had already planned and purpose for Jesus to be the Passover lamb, for this to be a public spectacle, and for him to be the, the Passover lamb for all of the world. The crowd would turn against Jesus, who had said Hosanna to the king. Later, they would say, crucify him, crucify him. And Jesus, before all of this happened, has already said it's going to happen on the Passover and it's going to be public. You see what Jesus announced in verse two when he says, in two days will be feast of the Passover. The son of man is betrayed to be crucified. The religious leaders did not know that, but he did. How did he know it? Here's how. Because it was already purposed before the foundation of the world. Please remember, as we study this, the crucifixion, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, none of this is done in a reactionary mode, but it is all proactive. What I mean is God is not reacting to what man is doing. God already planned and purposed the crucifixion, the, the, the burial, the resurrection of Christ before the world was even created. Why did he do it? He did it for you and me. He did it so we would have access to heaven. My question for you is, have you trusted him? What a wonderful day, Resurrection Sunday, to bow your head, repent of your sin, and pray and ask Jesus to save you. He'll do it. He came to this earth as God in human flesh to give his life, to die on the cross, and shed his precious, sinless blood to give us access to God the Father. And you don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. You simply repent of your sin and pray and ask Jesus to save you, and he'll do that. Well, thank you so much for listening. We'll continue our series now next week. And today, again, if you do not have a home church, we invite you to Mount Vernon Baptist Temple or Waltonville Community Church. If you do have a home church, be there today. Celebrate with your pastor and with your church family the resurrection of our Savior. He lives forevermore, Jesus Christ. I look forward to being with you again next Sunday. Till then, this is Pastor Tim Reynolds saying may God bless you is my prayer. You've been listening to the Bible Truth Podcast with your host pastors, Tim and Ron Reynolds. They can be contacted on the Mount Vernon Baptist Temple Facebook page, or you may send Pastor Tim an email to T-I-M-R-E-Y-1 at hotmail.com. Or if you prefer, mail correspondence to Bible Truth Podcast, 817 Woodland Drive, Mount Vernon, Illinois, 62864. Again, that's Bible Truth Podcast, 817 Woodland Drive, Mount Vernon, 
Illinois, 62864. Thank you for listening.